this is episode five. Yeah, this yes. is episode. Yeah, this is episode five. Great, awesome. Um, I, I I don't actually know where to begin, just because uh, I'm like I'm not a Harry Potter fan. So, see, how about uh, you tell us, I guess, your history with Harry Potter, if there is any. Well, should we start off by saying, welcome back to What Do You Think with Al and C? Uh, yeah, welcome back with What Do You Think with Al and C. I'm Al. I'm C. And uh, what are we? What are we? What are we reviewing today, Al? Uh, we are reviewing the third Fantastic Beasts movie. We are reviewing Fantastic Beasts: colon, The Secrets of Dumbledore. We already know your secret, Dumbledore. J.K. Rowling told us. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So, I, I mean, I guess there. Uh, I'm not going to get into spoilers, but uh, I guess there are other secrets Dumbledore has that. Uh, get revealed as well but um but yeah the the big one like yeah everyone's known that for like what 10 years now yeah mm. yeah no i i have absolutely no uh relationship with with uh with harry potter so and i uh i like every like every like most other people i really loved the books um and i enjoyed the movies as well but i wouldn't call myself a what do the Harry Potter fans call themselves? Is there Potterheads, I think. I, don't, I won't go that far. I'm not a Potterhead, but I do enjoy the Harry Potter world and franchise and everything that was involved with that. I, th- I, I did enjoy that. I remember waiting late at night for the release of the books at least a couple times. So definitely something I was... Uh, I very much enjoyed, of course. Um, so, so you did yeah. the whole like midnight release thing? I did it once or twice. What store did you go to? What bookstore? Um, there was, I think I did it once at a Barnes and Noble, and another time at a local bookstore in my uh, my old uh, hometown. Now, what's amazing, actually, actually, this is a fun story. It's and it's quick too. So J.K. Rowling, her her Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling didn't get big until like the around when the third book came out the first and second book had already come out a lot of fans may even remember feeling that feeling like they were waiting a really long time for the fourth book um that's because the other two books were already out at the time um the bookstore and my little hometown she actually visited and did a book signing before she was famous or before the books were really huge and so they actually, I don't think the bookstore exists anymore, but they were one of the few little local bookshops that had like a picture of the owner with J.K. Rowling because they just did it with all the authors that visited. So I did a book a book thing there because she actually, when she got big, she actually notably came back to that one because they were one of the few bookstores that w- in America that would see her or invited her mm-hmm. early on. So I remember going to that one. And then years later, I did a Barnes & Noble thing. Oh, okay. Did you ever do, like, uh, the midnight releases for the movies? I did not do that. But one thing that did happen is my school um, did take us on a field trip to see the first two movies. Like, that was, like, a big thing. Mm. Uh, We had to sign permission slips, and they wouldn't tell us, but apparently they told all our parents. And yeah, in in multiple view in multiple show times, they t- our whole school went to see the first movie and then the second movie uh, oh. at, at a very old theater that's famous in my hometown. Oh, that, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, my high school never did anything like that. The best we got was that like on the last day of school, they showed white chicks in the gym. 
<laughs> Actually, my school on a um on a lo- on a school trip to DC, oh, to Washington DC, played white chicks on the TV bus. <laughs> that, that was weird because this was this was middle school. This wasn't even high school. So oh, same. Like, it was middle school. Yeah, they played white chicks for us. So yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, remember when midnight screenings were a thing for a while, and then they just kind of stopped. They were a thing. For Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and like any movies that came out, some of the movies that came out in between then, like, oh, they were that, they did that for Twilight and Hunger Games. Hunger Games, I think, was like the last thing to try to do it, but it wasn't big. Yeah. But they tried. Like uh, Marvel also did them, but then like somewhere along the line, it transformed from like midnight showings to like 7 or 6 p.m. showings the day before the proper release. Yeah. Yeah. so yeah but uh kind of circling back to harry potter uh yeah no um this is the third one and uh, yeah like i guess let's just go straight to the review but first we got to see the trailer all right let's watch it if you listen carefully enough the past whispers to you we're here to see albus dumbledore that would be my brother the world as we know it is coming undone. Grindelwald is pulling it apart with hate. If we're to defeat him, you'll have to trust me. This is the team that's going to take down the most dangerous wizard in over a century. A magizoologist, this indispensable assistant. Wizard descended from a very old family, a school teacher, and a muggle. Dumbledore asked that I give you something, Jacob. Are you kidding me right now? Who wouldn't like our chances? Off to save the world, are we? Things are not quite what they appear. Swivel, but delicately. I'm swiveling, I go swiveling. points to Hufflepuff. Can I? Mm-mm. Very dangerous. It's very powerful. We've gotten the wrong hands, you know. Mess you up. Where did you get it? Look out for Christmas. Had you seen that trailer before? Uh, uh, no, I haven't. Um... 
No, no, I haven't. Actually, it's kind of funny. That that music seemed a bit more memorable than the actual music in the movie. Yeah, that was actually pretty good. I was like, oh, this this is this is like a, a nice uptake of what the original soundtrack was. They just enhanced it. It's like they should have used that. No, this they just kept like making weird references to the old soundtrack and then just using something that was generally pretty bland. But we'll get into that later. I'm looking up who is the who is the composer for this. Oh my gosh, it was James Newton Howard. He usually does good stuff. What was uh, what's something he's most famous for? Uh, he's he does a lot of the old uh, old of uh, old uh, M Night Shyamalan movies. Okay, those were good soundtracks. Uh, he uh, he worked on Batman Begins and The Dark Knight with Hans Zimmer. Oh well, damn! No, the Batman the the Dark Knight having worked on that that's that's quite impressive. The reason the fact that him and Hans Zimmer worked together on it is why the Dark Knight. Uh, soundtrack never got uh, nominated at the Oscars because oh. they weren't a previously established duo. Oh. That, yeah. So, but he uh, he also composed uh, King Kong, which is I I think it's my favorite of the things he's done. But mm. yeah, the the his score here is like super forgettable. Um, the only time I, that, I, I assume you're talking about the Peter Jackson King Kong, right? Oh yeah, the Peter Jackson King Kong. Yeah, I yeah. I should clarify. Um, so because now we have to. So. Uh, I'm I'm a little embarrassed about this. So, um, Professor Hicks, I kept thinking as I, as we were watching this movie, I was like, "Who is she? Who is she? Who is she?" I hate her like '40s New York accent, but who is she? That's Jessica Williams, who a lot of people might remember. She was on uh, the Today Show or the Daily Show with uh, John Stewart. Oh wow, I remember her. I didn't realize that was her. Yeah, okay. I didn't realize it was her either. But there was like an itch on the back of my head where I kept thinking like. Where have I seen her before? She's she's also like in a Netflix movie that I think she co-wrote. Uh, hmm. Let me see. Uh, that that ha- that she's like, she she's the lead and her love interest is played by uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, blah, 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 blah. What was it called? Um, the Incredible Jessica James. Huh, um, okay. It's a fun little Netflix movie. Uh, I think she wrote it. So like, Good give it a her. watch. Yeah, give it a watch. Just. Because, again, it came out like the year uh, Lakeith Stanfield blew up where mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the guy that's in all these Netflix movies. Like he was in he was like in The Incredible Je- Jessica James. He was in War Machine and he was in Death Note all in the same year and all on Netflix. Well, yeah. All right. But that's a good suggestion. I will check it out. All right. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny that we're just deviating so much. Because we, we don't want to talk about this movie, I think. No, no, no. It's just deep down. There's not much to talk about, really. Yeah. Okay. So, should we get our rating out the way? Should we just get that part out of the way? No, no, no. Let's let's okay. let's at, let's at least try to talk about this movie. <laughs> so, so here's here's the thing. I I didn't grow up with Harry Potter, um, for various reasons. In fact, the only movie I ever saw was um, Deathly Hallows Part Two. Which Wait, would... no. I thought you'd also seen Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, no, I've seen bits and pieces, but never the full thing. Oh, wow. Uh, I do. Okay. On a side note, I think you should see it. It's If you want to see the best Harry Potter movie, you got to see that one. Well, yeah. I know it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who I love. It's just, it is one of those things where there's so many things to watch. Mm-hmm. And if it's a franchise you don't really care about, you just never get around to it. Even though you know, like, there's probably some good installments in that franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, the ironic thing is, is that the last Harry Potter movie I saw was was Deathly Hallows Part 2 that had uh, Dumbledore's brother 
Aberforth in it, played by mm-hmm. Syrian Hines. And mm-hmm. then the next one I see in theaters is Fantastic Feast, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which has, again, Aberforth Dumbledore in it, played by actor Richard Coyle, who I, I've i never heard of this guy. Or, well, apparently he was in the Jake Gyllenhaal movie Prince of Persia. But like, oh, like he was, go. he was good in it. That's I re- why we've never heard of him. <laughs> he, he was good in this. Like the mo- so the an early part of the film has our protagonist, uh, Newt Scamander, played by Oscar winner Eddie Redmayne, and his brother uh, Theseus Scamander, played by actor Callum Turner. They go to this particular inn, and the moment they walk in, I was like, oh, I remember this from Deathly Hallows Part Two. So that's that's. That's so that actually role. that actually kind of worked out for you. You yeah. had a little bit of a, a minor frame of reference. I was like, okay, I know who this is, and and I get it because uh, in part in Deathly Hallows Part Two, like, so I don't know a lot about Harry Potter lore. I really don't. Uh, the the few things I do know, I'm, I'm 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 working under the assumption that this stuff is like doesn't fall under spoiler rules anymore. So um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so I do know that like. One of the one of the big background histories in Harry Potter was that Albus Dumbledore had a fight with his brother Aberforth because his brother found out that he was uh, romantically intertwined with Gellert Grindelwald and that during the fight, their younger sister got killed and the two brothers don't know by whom. So I, I do know that. I, so I, knew... I, I want to add one thing prior to the reveal uh, that Dumbledore was gay, which was revealed by the author after the books and movies all came out. All that we knew is that it was a fight that they got in, and during that fight, their sister died. That's what we knew. Uh, but it was, they do say that it was about Grindelwald. In the books, they say that? I don't remember that No, part. yeah. No, yeah. They, they it, uh, In the books, and I distinctly mm-hmm. remember in Deathly Hallows Part 2, that they got into a fight because... Uh, uh, Dumbledore was in league with Grindelwald. Hmm. Okay. Um, wow. I don't really remember up, that. Up, up, up until that point, like, uh, again, my one of my best friends is a giant Potterhead, but because I have no frame of reference of this franchise of this uh, book series, mm-hmm. like he only tells me bits and pieces of things. But he he did tell me that like like before it was revealed that Dumbledore was gay for Grindelwald or or gay, gay. and in no. love with gay Grindelwald. For, he was gay for Grindelwald. Well, yeah. But not just. I'm, I'm assuming like he could have fallen in love with other men. Yo, I'm, just, yeah, I'm just saying he was. He had like a single target. Yeah. So basically, like even before that was revealed, he was pretty much like, like besties with Grindelwald and just wanted really, really hard for them to be able to like work together. And that's what made his brother mad. Anyway, mm-hmm. the, the the good thing is is that this bit of history that I do know ends up being like really important to know coming into this movie. So. Again, I've only ever seen Deathly Hallows Part 2. I've never seen any of the other Harry Potters or even the first two Fantastic Beasts. So so I come into this movie. And listen, credit to the movie. One of the few credits I'll give it is that they at least try really hard to as organically as possible explain to you like what's going on, who are these people, why it's important that Grindelwald be stopped, like they 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 do it as organically as possible and by that i mean like barely like like they still have to kind of stop the movie and be like hey for those who just walked into this movie out of thin air uh, blah 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 
these are the this is Theseus, who's the older brother of Newt, who is our protagonist, who loves animals, who is best friend with the smuggle from New York City named Jacob Kowalski. Uh, and uh, he's in love with this proto death eater called Queenie. And uh, Grindelwald's a criminal who somehow or another gets to be gets to run for president of wizards, I mm-hmm. guess. That was the one thing that kind of threw me off. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a big part of this movie is that Grindelwald gets gets pardoned and he gets to participate in like I, I guess the election for like the leader of the wizards. Yeah, and, he gets and, pardoned for what he did in the second movie, The Crimes of Grindelwald, which neither of us have seen at all. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, see, see, see. You have seen the first Fantastic Beasts, but you've never seen the second. So I have only seen. I know what happens in the first one, but I've only seen parts of it. But I completely know what happens in the first one. Okay, okay. So, um, so basically, he gets pardoned and he gets to stand for this for this election, and it's between this Brazilian woman and this guy from China, I'm assuming. And yeah. then he he basically comes. From, he's from Denmark, I believe, and they get to stand. And there's this whole like subplot of like political intrigue or stuff that's only very surface level like that that was the biggest part of the movie where i was really confused because um the the way they justify this making justify this story into being a fantastic beast movie is that newt basically finds a mcguffin animal and they basically talk about how that mcguffin animal called a chillin uh used to be can like see into your soul and and basically used to be the animal that would choose like the leader of the uh, of the wizards i guess so this animal this this chillin um it's just basically seen as this incredibly magical rare creature also for the record this this animal was the design was weird it didn't really make sense um and at the end of the day it was an animal that could sort of see into the future or could be used to see into the future in various ways. I realize now looking back that this was, they shouldn't have made up this kind of animal. They should have either used an animal that's already well established in Harry Potter lore as being important or used a mythical creature that we all know. A good example, I think, might have been if they used a unicorn or something like that, where we it's a mythical creature that we all understand is special or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, they, they justify this by, by saying, oh, um, the, the, this animal used to choose our leader, but now we do elections, but then somehow this animal, because it's discovered, they're going to try to use it to, to choose a leader again. It's all very confusing. So that whole political intrigue of how, uh, Grindelwald is trying to get power, is, was very confusing for me. I, I I could not follow it. I was like, I think well, you're right on that. I agree. Yeah, I, I I was I I just kept thinking like I I don't know why why this lady is important, why this guy's important, like like the okay. So from what I know is like every country has a Ministry of Magic, right? Mm-hmm. And then like the police of the Ministry of Magic are called Aurors. Aurors? I can't pronounce I it. I don't know. Aurors. Aurors. <laughs> uh, magic wizard police, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got that. And I guess, like, the wizards of that country vote for their 
head of the Ministry of Magic. So uh, a bit uh, like a, a little bit under a third of this movie takes place in Berlin, like uh, Weimar German Berlin. And and you basic, wouldn't know it by looking at it. Oh, oh, we'll, we'll get to uh, we'll get to the uh, production. <laughs> we'll get to the production design in, in a bit. Sure. So so our characters have to be in Berlin for a bit of the movie. And the Brit, uh, the head of the German Ministry of Magic, he somehow is in charge of the election. And that's where I got confused. I was like, why is this guy? Because he's the current leader, I guess, or something. What, was he? he? That, that, that was never made clear to me. I'm assuming that's the case. I'm actually not entirely sure. But somehow he's running the election. Yeah, he, he's running the election. And it's it's this 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 guy from a country in Asia. I, I'm assuming it's China. It, it, I, I, he had and, a dragon on his on his costume. I'm assuming the same thing. Too. Yeah. So the woman I assumed was from Spain, but just doing like a quick read on the IMDb page. So, so the climax of the film takes place in Bhutan, which is like in Nepal area, somewhere around <laughs> there. I think if I'm wrong, I really apologize. Uh, geography is not my strong suit. Um, so it turns out originally, according to the IMDb, it was supposed to be Brazil. Brazil was Rio de Janeiro was supposed to be where the climax takes place. Hmm. And the uh, this woman who's running for president of Wizards and Witches, uh, Valencia Santos. I was like, oh, she's from Spain. Turns out she's supposed to be from Brazil. So that was never made clear. Like I I was like, I'm guessing this guy's from China and this woman's from Spain. But apparently she's from Brazil. But that was never made clear in the movie. And um, the only reason I know Grindelwald is from Denmark is because my best friend, who's a Potterhead, was like, oh, yeah, Grindelwald, well, he's he's Danish, blah, 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 blah. And makes sense why they cast Mads Mikkelsen. He's also Danish. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, the whole political intrigue part of this film totally, totally lost me. I, I was like, I don't know how this works. I don't know why this is important. I, I, I really don't get it. Um, and then you have, again, the the beast element, the magizoology element, as they call it. And you have, like, what? One one main creature, which is, like, the MacGuffin creature. Mm-hmm. And then you have, like, this walking stick or walking leaf stick thing. Uh, it was his, like, companion or pet. Yeah, this, like, platypus mole-looking thing. And that thing's been in all of his movies. All okay. these movies. Oh, yeah. All these movies. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, he's like a funny little character that keeps appearing. He likes uh, he likes shiny things. Yeah. And basically. then and then like another creature that's that's basically just in there for a set piece is like this scorpion monster and its children that's like watching this prison in Germany, and that's pretty much it, right? Mm-hmm. It's n- not a lot of fantastic beasts, even though this yeah, is supposed to be a, a movie about fantastic beasts. Because they used them all in the for so. Just for the record, the premise of the first movie is, his, you know, his his suitcase that he carries around, it's filled with all these different creatures. In the first movie, the, the box gets opened and all of them spill out into New York and it becomes a decent adventure on him trying to get these monsters back in the case. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That, that would be something where you'd be like, this is a movie about magical animals and kind of this whole got to catch them all thing. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm just, it is sad to see that in this movie, they just sort of really don't use, like, you wish he would use more creatures that could be cool, but they don't use that many. It's it's a movie about magical, magical animals. You expect magical animals. All right. So, so that part was very minimal. And then you have like the whole, like, 
Grindelwald v. Dumbledore thing, which to me was both the strongest and the most compelling thing of the movie, mm-hmm. like straight up. Um, yeah. Like Jude Law as Dumbledore, I, 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 I think he's a good Dumbledore, I guess, because like, like I'm able to understand what his character is supposed to mean and represent and like his purpose. Like I get it. Right. I, I guess because he comes from the books. So Jude Law and the director and writers have a lot to like grab from. But he was very well realized. I was like, I understand his purpose. I understand his struggle and I understand his character arc. And then mm-hmm. Mads Mikkelsen as Gellert Grindelwald. I Same thing. I understand stood his purpose. I understood his goals. I understood why he was the way he was, why he was such a villain. Yeah, All but- of that made sense. And you believe their friendship slash romance like you believe it you and know? their rivalry you believe and their, it all yeah and their rivalry and uh in the climax they have a confrontation and that was the most that was probably the most compelling part of that entire climax it wasn't even like the resolution of the MacGuffin creature it was literally uh Dumbledore and Grindelwald basically have a mini face-off and it ends in a very like heartbreaking note but but Jesus, it, it's it's the most compelling part of the whole movie. Like me, as someone who's never read the books, has only seen the very last Harry Potter movie, has never seen the first two Fantastic Beasts movie. I, that that kept my eyes on the screen. You know, <laughs> um, I was like, wow. If if <laughs> I think we talked about this on the ride home, see that if instead of being a Fantastic Beasts movie, this was a Dumbledore v Grindelwald Dawn of Justice movie. It would be slash, slash Brokeback Mountain. It would have been amazing. Yeah, it would have been like, okay, this is something I can watch. This is compelling. This is compelling cinema, or or this is compelling Hollywood blockbuster. Um, but it, it, it's not in fact, like I, I would. Admit, I would also like to add to that note that like literally the best scene in the movie is their first scene together, where they're sitting oh, yeah. in this cafe and just totally. talking, because it's this real like. It's reminiscent of this, like Professor X and Magneto meeting again, meeting as old friends. Only this, it's oh, as meeting as old lovers, and it's done so well because you see the, the, the almost the heartbreak in their eyes that they don't agree, and yeah. it's just really, really well done. And both give their A game in that scene alone. And as as mentioned, whenever Mad Mickelson, Mads Mickelson has to be a villain, he always brings it without yeah. a doubt. And he brings layers to the role too. Like he obviously believes in his in his cause. You know, he believes that Muggles are inferior to Magi. Like you believe it, and you see that even he. His final line in the film is that, "I was never an enemy to you all," or you know. He says, "I was never your enemy," and then he was, disappears. And then he disappears. I was like, "Wow, I believe that." Even though everything I just saw him do is, is inherently evil and against them. But, you know, you believe it. You believe and, no, you believe he believes it. Yeah. And then the final part of this film is basically kind of, I'm guessing the result. Actually, there are two other elements. I'm going to get to this first one first. You get the resolution of Ezra Miller's character, uh, Credence, I believe mm-hmm. is his name. And I was just like, I, 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 I don't get it. Like, our, <laughs> again, I guess it really hurts if you haven't seen the first one, the first two, because I was like, Okay, Ezra Miller, why are you here? I, I, I'm guessing you were you were like found by Grindelwald. I, I was able to assume that much, but I I didn't understand like I, I did, so we're not uh, so I did again a little like 
backstory research just so I could know, like, okay, I'm not accidentally revealing a spoiler. So Mm -hmm. uh, talking about his character, you would have to talk about the, uh, like, would it be okay if I talk about, like, the the revelation in the last film in the last Fantastic Beast film is that is that like that's more than acceptable oh okay I'm so sure. so uh, apparently Credence is a is a Dumbledore but he was told he is he's a he is a brother to the main Dumbledore brothers right that he's like their younger brother um, and that's not entirely the case but to reveal more would be to spoil this movie but yeah. so we get the resolution of him confronting the Dumbledore brothers. And here's the thing. It, it's like, it's all very surface level. Like I would be shocked if the whole, the whole subplot equaled to more than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, no joke. A, a huge chunk of it gets resolved because people are talking using magic mirrors. And again, I guess that if you, if you've seen the first two movies, it's somewhat, um, you know, it, what's the word I want to say? It was done. It was done before. Yeah. Was... You get some resolution out of it. But again, I've never seen the first two Fantastic Beasts movies. So that whole thing, I was like, I, I really don't get it. Um, Credence and uh, Dumbledore get a fight scene together. And I was just so confused over the rules of the fight. Like, like were they, were they like actually fighting in the real world or was like it all in their heads? Because I did not understand. So one thing that should be known, I looked into this a little bit. Credence is, he's sick throughout the movie. And I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but it, they kind of talk about this in the previous movies, apparently. Basically, I guess it's brought up at some, some way or somehow that if a wizard doesn't learn how to control their magic or isn't taught properly, it'll consume them and drive them mad or something, or it'll make, it'll kill them, I guess. And that's what's happening to Credence. That's why he's, everything is so weird when he, when Dumbledore and Credence are fighting because it's like uncontrolled magic. So it isn't, there's nothing to it. Okay. So it's basically just raw power. And obviously someone who knows how to control magic knows how to kind of like step away and make them kind of hurt themselves. Yes. Okay. Okay. That, that, okay. That's fine. And, uh, I mean, it's still like that whole subplot. I was like, honestly, you could leave it all on the cutting room floor and you know, whatever. But I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I I just got no satisfaction of seeing that whole subplot get resolved. Like, and here's the thing. Uh, I'm assuming Ezra Miller was in the first one and in the second one, right? I know for a fact he was in the first one. I'm assuming he was in the second, but I don't really know. Okay. So like I guess he was the I guess he was like the bad guy in the first one. Was he the bad guy in the first one? So the way the first one seems to work is it's like uh, Newt is the one everyone's after Newt for releasing the creatures in New York. Yeah. But then there's some sort of dark subplot going on with Ezra Miller and at the time Grindelwald played as Colin Firth, which it doesn't work cuz here's what they do. Colin Firth is like this, you know, big hot shot in the magic magical world, but he's got this secret of Ezra Miller in some sort of weird way. It doesn't quite make sense. And then the big reveal is that Colin Firth is actually Johnny Depp. And then we actually understand that Johnny Depp is uh, Grindelwald. And then 
the second movie happens with Johnny Depp as Grindelwald, where he commits a bunch of he tries to attack and take over like full head on, and then he gets arrested, and that's how we end up here uh, with him being pardoned for his crimes or something. Okay, okay, all right. So, um, yeah, ba- basically, I, I I really didn't care for the credence uh, subplot, and now the final thing, the actual final thing, is uh, we have Dan Folger. Or Fogler, Dan Fogler, who I know from Fanboys, the movie. Uh, he plays uh, Jacob Kowalski, and there's basically his uh, plot of trying to. Well, well, this is what's weird. So, uh, his love interest, Queenie Goldstein, uh, she's like basically with in league with uh, Grindelwald. She's part of his uh, part of his army, and. He doesn't join the story in order to win her back. In fact, he, he's kind of seen to accept that she's gone. He joins the story because Dumbledore, for some reason, needs uh, Kowalski to join him on his scheme to stop Grindelwald from being elected as president of, of the Wizards. Mm-hmm. And it's just i felt it was really shoot in like 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 this movie was struggling to find a reason why they needed this particular muggle or any muggle for this story like if he came along because he was like i i just want to get queenie back that would make sense i'd be like yeah you're in love with her and you want her back right and and here's the funny thing Uh, i'm not going to say how that would spoil it but that issue does get resolved Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was not in a satisfying way because it basically amounted to like, to like, hey, I see you. Hey, I see you. And then it gets resolved. I'm not going to say whether for good or for bad, but they just see each other and they have a conversation and then you you, you get your resolution. Yeah, um, it's, it's very, it's, 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 I don't want to say instantaneously resolved, but very quickly resolved. Yeah, but the thing is, he didn't join, he's not part of this plot in order to get her back. He's part of this because Dumbledore's like, oh, I need a muggle and I need that muggle. And like <laughs> he just so happens to run into Queenie while this is happening. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm I, I, now I'm going to actually like fix this problem, which mm-hmm. is what you should have been doing from the beginning, because that's the only reason why you should be in this story. Honestly, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Catherine Watterson, who I did know was in the first one. And I guess in the second one, as Tina Goldstein, Queenie's sister, and uh, Newt's love interest. Um, mm-hmm. So, if you've seen the trailer, I've never seen the trailer, but I know for a fact she's not in it now that I've seen it. So, hey, surprise, she's not in this movie. Mm-hmm. They give you a reason why, and they bring in a different character to kind of take her place. Um, apparently, she cameoed in the second film. Uh, but it's uh, Jessica Williams as uh, Eulalie Laley Hicks, who is a who is a school teacher, a professor, I guess, mm-hmm. at like the American version of Hogwarts. Yes. Um, she's she's in this and she kind of takes uh, Tina Goldstein's place as like the capable uh, witch of the group. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then you have Callum Tur- Turner, who plays uh, Thessius Scamander, who is uh, Eddie Redmayne's older brother. So here's mm-hmm. the funny thing. Take one good look at uh, at uh, Theseus and take one good look at Newt. Newt looks 10 years older than uh, than Theseus. 
mm-hmm. but he's shorter and has a higher pitched voice. And that's what's to make you believe that like, oh, he's Thessius's younger brother. I kept I kept watching mm-hmm. this and I'm like, no way is uh, Eddie Redmayne's character younger than Callum Turner's character. Now, here's the thing. They could have just done it where they make Thessius the younger brother, but he's more accomplished and more like serious. Like they could do that and it would actually kind of work. But instead, they're like, no, he's older. He's older. It's weird. Yeah, no, it's it's very, like, odd. Because I, I could not believe this guy as, like, like you're telling me this this tall, like, tw- late 20s looking guy is is the older brother of this almost 40-year-old uh, nebbish looking zoologist? Okay. Yeah. Or, or maybe that's just me that I just... I look at Eddie Redmayne and I'm like, wow, that guy's old. I mean, he was born in 82, so mm-hmm. he, he's turning 40 this year. So Oh, there you go. But yeah, he looks like super old to me. Um, and then they get another guy who's part of their group, uh, Yusuf Kama, played by William Natalem. Uh, I guess he was in the second one and he was like, he was uh, he's related to the Lestrange family in some way. I don't yeah. know. He's he's a member of the Lestrange family. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, but point being is that outside of the Grindelwald Dumbledore stuff, everything else is not compelling. You you're just kind of watching it just to watch it. Like like it does nothing new. It, it does nothing yeah. I've never seen before or done better. You know, yeah. everyone is just kind of there. Uh, I know Eddie Redmayne plays the protagonist, and I'm like, what did he learn out of all this? What what was what was his challenge? What was his personal growth? He, he had none. He had none. He's just kind of there to justify this being called a Fantastic Beast movie. Um, you know, Ezra Miller is barely a character in this. He's just there to be to be angry or to be sick. Um, yeah. Dan Fogler as Jacob Kowalski, like again, the movies. He's funny and he's charming. Like. I never thought I'd say that Dan Fogler is charming, but here we are. Um, <laughs> I've seen him in a lot of stuff that wasn't Fantastic Beasts. And to me, he was always like the most annoying parts in them. So I'm sorry, Dan Fogler. I, I, I should probably watch more movies where you're considered like the highlight. Um, but he's charming, you know, and obviously you believe his romance with Queenie. But for, for God's sakes, the movie struggles to find a justification for him to be there, even though there's there's such a natural one right there get Queenie back but the movie doesn't make him take that path the movie basically is like listen it, it's too it's too obvious that his only purpose would be to get Queenie back we, we we need to find another we need to struggle to find a reason why to have a muggle in this um so yeah um so I guess that's all I can say about the story let's get into the other stuff yeah uh, if, I, if, if I may if we're getting into the other stuff let me just start off let me say my thoughts on that. The sure. Go ahead. This this whole movie is So one thing that made the really the the original Harry Potter movies so good is that they used as many sets as they could. As the movies went along, they they replaced more and more of the sets with green screen, but they still used an impressive amount of actual production design. Most of this movie is is a soundstage with a green background. Truly. That's what it is. It's just so much of that. Just a crazy amount. And you can tell because nothing actually looks like the place they're at. They add a few interesting landmarks just to say, hey, this is the spot. But otherwise, it's not really anything special. The other thing, 
is the editing in this movie is confusing. Because basically all the characters, they group together, say their plan, and then they all split up and go in different directions. Or they pair up at the most. And throughout the movie, they don't... It doesn't cut together well when we're going from one character to the other. I'm not saying like you need like a wide shot for every time you cut to a different place, although that is the typical way you do it. But like you'd cut to like an action of one moment and then it would badly cut to an action of another moment. It wouldn't be seamless at all. Also, some of the way they would like slow down the action, like so you're supposed to see like the magic happening in a slow motion. It was just weird moments they'd slow down. So the production design just looked very digital in the in a bad way and the editing was just confusing which just didn't help with the movie overall when you just have a meandering story so those are my sort of thoughts on that that that's the perfect way to describe this story as meandering but uh see to your point about the production design yeah no so a lot of people have critiqued marvel studios up until the eternals because credit to the eternals a lot of stuff was shot on location but like a lot of people have criticized marvel for just having people in a in a sound stage and then green screen the shit out of everything mm -hmm. um this is very apparent with stuff like black panther um uh um stuff like uh, guardians of the galaxy uh uh the doctor strange movie but it gets ridiculous when like all the thor uh, movies well all the thor movies yeah but that that makes sense but then with like the spider-man movies where sam raimi shot a lot of it like on location well not mm -hmm. on location new york but in la or, or chicago right real so you, cities real cities yeah and with uh the the tom holland movies they're all shot on the soundstage to to the point that like people make fun of it where they're like oh you know uh instead of like building a set to be on the uh statue of liberty they just basically have a have a soundstage covered in green or blue and then CGI everything in. And yeah. that's pretty much this movie, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Berlin is not Berlin. Berlin was some soundstage in London mm -hmm. that they basically put two columns, probably made out of styrofoam, and then covered everything else in green. Mm -hmm. And then they just imposed, imposed, superimposed people, superimposed... Uh, uh, statues, uh, buildings, and snow. Like, and added yeah. some German words there in the mix. Yeah, the, the even the snow looks fake. Uh, like there's there's a couple key scenes that take place in Brooklyn, New, New York. <laughs> That's not Brooklyn. Like it literally feels like they had a soundstage where they just put a cobblestone cobblestone floor and then built like these very fake looking. Uh, uh, you know, these fake looking urban buildings that you would see in like 1930s New York City. Mm -hmm. And then the only building that has like a working door where people go in and out is a Kowalski's bakery. Also, no, no street in Brooklyn or in Queens or it was Queens. No street in Queens is that wide. Oh, yeah. That thing was super wide. Like, <laughs> like it was the width of four roads. And I'm like, there's no road at all there. That's that. Yeah. Wide. Yeah. And then they cut to like a a wide shot of the Brooklyn Bridge and it, it I mean, listen the the compositing is fine but it just looks so fake like I thought to myself like that is just like a 4k render that they didn't even animate they just have in the background yeah um, yeah so 
it's and I, I guess the the vis effects don't look as polished this time because good good visual effects um when done right are almost invisible like a lot of people would be shocked to know that a david fincher film because he's only made like dramas and thrillers that a david fincher film has a ton of cgi in it well but because we can it's... all tell in panic room but otherwise yeah but yeah but because it's it's so minimal and done so well that you assume it's real like like in zodiac all the blood in zodiac is all cgi and this was in 2006 so yeah but in here i guess i guess because people are working we're working from home because this was shot during the pandemic but like everything looks fake the snow looks fake the uh the the wear on the walls looks fake the shoot there's a so there's a moment where the a good example hold on a good example of some of the really atrocious cgi is at one point when they're in berlin they go through a brick wall to get to the ministry of magic in berlin oh god and it looks so bad when they go through that wall it just looks horrendous like it doesn't look like clay it doesn't look like brick it just looks like it looks like a Tetris game. Almost. Yes, yes. Oh my God, yes. Um, yeah, it, it, it's bad. Like, there's a there's a phoenix in this movie. I, I mean, it's on the trailer. So there's a phoenix in this movie. That phoenix looks like a it, PlayStation it, Three render. It looked like the bird from uh, from uh, Assassin's Creed. Oh yeah, exactly. With some flames. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Um, the the spells. I I'll give it this. the The meat and potatoes of this movie are the spells, and the spells look about the same as they've looked at least since twenty eleven. Yeah, they looked fine. Yeah, because they knew they had to make those look good. Yeah. So, again, I'm assuming that a lot of the post production was done uh, working from home. So, I think I, the I, only set they had, by the way, sorry, I think the only set that I saw was the um the cave they were in at one point where in the trailer it's that scene where they're di- they're swiveling and all that that was a bit of a set but then still not much yeah and it it's just really frustrating and it, it's not just uh the secrets of Dumbledore that's guilty of this again uh marvel studios is guilty of this uh disney as a whole is guilty of this where my god there are such a variety of locations around the world that if you want to Go to a forest. I'm sure you can find a picturesque forest to shoot uh, whatever scenes you have that take place in a forest or in a jungle, whatever. But instead, what they do is that they just put fake trees in a soundstage and and shoot the scenes there, and it looks so fake. Um, yeah, because you say they do this to save money. It's you can technically yeah. save you can technically save money doing this. It's but when when you've got a movie, who, what was the budget of this movie? Do you know? Um, let me see if I could find it. This budget was forty-three million. Okay. No, no, that's gross. Gross. Sorry, oh. sorry. Um, I just looked at the first. I, I don't know what the budget on this film was, but but it it probably was around the one hundred to one hundred and fifty range. So that's what I'm saying, though. Is like there's ways where they could have. I'm not saying I understand that building a whole set is very expensive and I understand shooting on location is very expensive, but there are things you can do that can improve the look of a film. You can choose 
a few base locations and then just heavily dress them to change it up and then use a CGI soundstage to fill in the gaps. But that way you at least have like something to work with. Otherwise you're just going to get this, this like, yeah, plasticky looking film. Yeah, no, it's, it's just shocking because I mean, you would think Hollywood would know better. You know, yeah. like you you guys have the money like again. So uh, when we get introduced to Newt uh, in this film, it's in some jungle in Asia, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And the trees look so plastic. The water, mm-hmm. the water is obviously like CGI in the yeah. grass, like all all the sounds of him stepping on grass or breaking twigs. That's all obviously ADR. Yeah. It's just it's now, just so think- fake. Do you think this will put now this will be a separate podcast where we discuss this, but do you think this will cause more production companies to go the way of the Mandalorian where you could do something like that? Oh, you mean using that like big LCD or LED system thing? Yeah, like if like suddenly do you think that is gonna make this that alternative more popular? Um, potentially. I mean, one of the things that makes it so easy for so many people to be on the Mandalorian is that they shoot the bulk of that in LA mm-hmm. and they can do that because of that LED system. Yeah. Um, and then they just have like the, they just have like, um, like the B camera taking B roll, like in Jordan and places like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now something I wanted to add and that move kind of moving a bit a yeah, beyond yeah. production design, the cinematography in this film is not that impressive. No, um, it's not. It's it's the same director as uh, David Yates as the guy from the last movie I saw, Deathly Hallows Part Two. Well, and he started when he started with uh, Order of the Phoenix. He did Order of the Phoenix, Half Blood Prince, Deathly Hallows Part One, Deathly Hallows Part Two, Fantastic Beasts, uh, Crimes of Grindelwald, and uh, Secrets of Dumbledore. So he's made seven of these. Wow. And God, it's been. It's been 11 years, so... He's I, made seven of these and Tarzan. Yeah. Tarzan was his only non-Harry Potter film. Uh, but in the 11 years, like, I can't remember much about Deathly Hallows Part Two, but I distinctly remember thinking to myself, like, oh, well, it's cinematic. I'm not, you know, I don't think this is shot like a TV show. And that's kind of my thing with the cinematography here. It's mm-hmm. shot like a TV show. Like, it honestly. Looks like a PBS, it looks like a Masterpiece Theater PBS special. Oh, see, that is the best way to put it. It really does. It like it's crazy when when TV has gone to the heights of something like Game of Thrones, which again yeah. uh, is is also owned by Warner Media, mm-hmm. and you know the things they were able to achieve, even though you know, like their budgets kept increasing season by season, but to see a film of this ca- of this size, you know, that's obviously was expensive, and some of the camera decisions are so pedestrian like mm-hmm. like i got i got the best way to put it is this um the way we're introduced to berlin to the german ministry of magic is not with sweeping wide shots or vista shots or or like crazy crane shots or no 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 the way we get introduced is that uh we have a two shot uh with people on a train and the two shot is facing uh, towards the train uh, window and they go like, okay, we're in Berlin and you just see the inside of a train station. 
that's how we that's what's crazy it's like well we're in berlin it's like what wait yeah yeah i mean even even like the big magical fights like they they don't capture like the scale of it very well and i think that had a lot to do with like your earlier point about the editing the editing's not great in this especially with all the like magic fights you're kind of left confused over like wait what happened and with the shot selection you know it's it's unusually uh tight framed for uh for a fight scene right mm-hmm. and you're like uh okay and then it's shot pretty flat well not flat it, it does have some shadow but it's very drab it's very dull looking there's mm-hmm. like i would i'm looking at the poster right now and this is like the brightest looking thing i've seen in relationship to the secrets of double lore this bright intense orange outline of a of a phoenix like mm-hmm. for god's sakes the phoenix in this movie is mostly covered in ash yeah it's so, bad yeah. yeah so this film feels like like c said a masterpiece theater uh episode um you know the 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 shot selection is not very impressive you yeah. know there there is no like like if like i've seen chris columbus movies i know he directed the first two mm-hmm. and i know for a fact that like if he was directing something like this, the first thing he would do is do an homage to Spielberg, which is have these long dolly shots, right? That kind of mm-hmm. capture like the scene in a, in a grand scale without being overwhelming. That's, that's mm-hmm. a Spielberg staple. Yeah. And if someone like Chris Columbus could do that, I'm shocked that David Yates can't do that. And mm-hmm. instead is like, Oh, I'm just going to do simple two shots. Uh, uh, two shots or or like close-up reverse shot stuff like that no i will add they may have had restrictions for the timing of when they were filming this we don't know that 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 is very true that is very very true like there's some shots like that cut back and forth where you're like oh they're not in the same room yeah yeah they're not in the same room or they weren't they weren't shooting the scene at the same time yeah you can tell there's a scene where uh like at the very end of the film where newt is talking to dumbledore and normally in a scene like that you would at least have like a bit of your character's shoulder when cutting to the person he's talking to right mm-hmm. you you do that kind of to establish that they're in the same space instead they just do clean shot reverse shot you only see newt or you only see double door mm-hmm. and even though their eye lines match knowing the context of when this film was made it is very apparent that Eddie Redmayne and Jude Law were not shooting that scene at the same time. They were either in different places or they shot him on different days. But it is very, very apparent. Yeah. Um, Even in the way they frame it, where Dumbledore is watching this this group of, of, of his friends and then he walks away, they always do it in a way where you could easily just composite him onto another scene shot somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, so again... You know, and, and I get it. Like like you said, sometimes that stuff's unavoidable, especially in these times we're in right now. But now, but, but what I will add is, do you know what they also shot during COVID? What? Station Eleven. <laughs> yes. So, so uh, I'll, 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 I'm sorry. What I mean is, something that is of a much higher quality was shot also shot during COVID, and they managed to make it work. Again, I understand that. Various films and production companies have issues with shooting during during COVID, and that is not their fault at all. 
I don't, but I, but at the same time, you can't give him a pass when other projects do something better with the circumstances. That, yep, you're right. You're right. You're totally right. I mean, I like how I both gave them a pass, but then just smashed that pass into a million pieces. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, I was both devil's advocate and then like chastised them anyways. Yeah. Um. All right. Do you have anything else to complain about, or do you have anything nice to say about the movie? See. Well, to reiterate, the good things are anything with Mads Mikkelsen and Jude Law. They do a great job. Um, there's a few hidden little Easter Harry Potter Easter eggs that I'm sure super fans will love. Um, but do you mind if I give you my rating on this? Yeah, go ahead. Please, please give your rating. So, it is neither a suck nor a meh. It is in between. It's a mess. But if we're going to stick with the rating system, I give it a full meh. It's just meh? Just meh. Okay. But it's really a mess. Okay, yeah. I don't want to say this sucks because I really, really did enjoy the uh, Grindelwald Dumbledore stuff, the character Mm -hmm. stuff. You know, I really enjoyed that. And the best fight scene was their duel. So just just to full disclosure, like I do know that they famously have like a duel, like the duel to end all duels. I don't think that was the duel like in this movie this movie does have one but i i don't think it's that one no, uh, no. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure because they said they're making five so that's probably that's probably Which I, did, I didn't know that going in so it's like oh it's not the end okay oh yeah so there's probably listen i wouldn't be surprised if they cut it down to four just so that they could just finally have that epic duel because that's what people are waiting for um, well we'll see how the box office does it's not that great i mean it's only made 43 million like in in this weekend so Mm. who knows um i feel like if you're a fan of harry potter this is gonna be a very like this will be meh for you you're like okay i learned some things about potter lore or there's there's a reinterpretation of certain potter lore that i that you might find interesting um so yeah you'll be like oh i could have watched it on hbo max you know I would say, like, if you're a super fan of Harry Potter and you, you've you seen every movie in theaters, then I know this review isn't going to stop you from doing that because at this point it's a, it's more of a principles thing than mm-hmm. a really, like, oh, I want to go see a quality movie. I want to use my hard-earned money to watch a quality movie at, <laughs> at the local AMC or Regal. No, like, like it's, it's principles. Like, I have seen every Harry Potter movie the opening weekend and i'm not gonna stop now just because this movie if i it's like it's like me in star wars films i've seen every star wars movie in theater in theaters whether it was re-released years later or or released at the time so i'm i'm sort of the same way with marvel movies the only marvel movie i have not seen when it opened in theaters was iron man 2 but Mm. i'm i'm pretty sure i've seen everything else yes that's that includes eternals and uh that that includes like um the uh the tom holland spider-mans because i know those are sony but so yeah if you're uh if you're a super harry potter fan you're gonna watch this but it'll probably be a it'll probably be a very standard meh like eh, you know I, I just watched it because i'm a fan not because you know or or, or, or because I had an obligation to, not because I was excited about it. If you're like me and you're not a Harry Potter fan, 
and you just you're just kind of watching it to fulfill an obligation of making a review <laughs> uh, <laughs> which full disclosure I, we were trying to find something anything else anything, anything else to watch so there's a movie that we're going to be reviewing later on i won't say it now but i made a mistake and thought it came out already and once i did Al literally said, oh, thank God. Like, he was relieved yeah, that this other movie really came out. Was. And then when I said, I'm sorry, I don't know, I messed up, I was wrong. You just let out the deepest sigh on the planet I've ever, ever, I've ever heard. Yeah. So, this movie barely sucks. And I, I mean that in the worst possible way. Like, like it, it doesn't suck to the point that no, I'm going to be actively saying, hey, well, actually, I take that back. I am actively saying don't watch this movie. <laughs> um, uh, but it barely sucks. And what I mean by that is that it's such a mediocre film that it it kind of skirts on the level of saying it sucks, which 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 is an, an indictment of this movie. You know, mm-hmm. I think. See, for listen- me, it's mediocre. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mediocre. There you go. I think that's the best way for me to put it. It's mediocre. It's 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 below meh, above sucks, mediocre. There you go. I I hesitate to to uh, attach the blame, the ultimate blame for why this thing is not good. I honestly think. Listen. So this is this is J.K. Rowling's baby. So mm-hmm. if she says she's writing the script, she's she's fucking well, writing no, no, no. the script. It's it's. It's based on a script she wrote. She didn't. Whatever this turned into was not what she originally wrote. This movie's a natural disaster. It's no one's fault. I listen. It, so she wrote the first draft, but she is still credited as a screenwriter. So, yeah. but but I, I do agree with you. I think the other credited writer, Steve Cloves, who has written every Harry Potter film except uh, *Goblet of Fire*. Yeah. Uh, I I. I would say, like, I, I do agree with you that he probably just took what J.K. Rowling wrote and fixed it as best he could. That that that's that's at least my theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would I would honestly say that David Heyman, who has produced all these movies, I really think he should consider moving beyond David Yates because David Yates was a TV director up until he got the job for Order of the Phoenix. Right. Mm -hmm. And he has directed nothing else except Harry Potter movies and Tarzan and and, and a Tarzan movie starring um, um, uh, which Skarsgård brother Alexander Skarsgård. No. Yeah. Is it Alexander Skarsgård? It's the one he's going to be in the Northmen later this year. Yeah. I think it's Alexander's. Anyway, you're right. Alexander's Skarsgård. You're you're right. You're right. You're right. Because the the other Skarsgård brother is the guy who played Pennywise. Yeah. And Um, then there's another, there are two, there's another Alexander Skarsgård who played a different Viking in the show Vikings. And then there's the father, of course, of all the Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. Okay. So I would, since I would seriously ask David Heyman to consider hiring a new director, just, just to get some fresh blood into this. Yeah. You know, just just to just to see if maybe that's what this franchise needs. Yeah, because honestly, the the directing here is just so uninspired. Mm-hmm. Like I I was not falling asleep during. The, it, listen, I know a lot of people always say like, oh, I fell asleep during this movie. When you're watching a blockbuster, it's so loud that I struggle to see how you could fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I it, it's a movie that's just that's like okay, they go to one spot to another to one spot to another, and it's just yeah, no, they need to find a new director, I would think. Um, I know they're not going to get rid of J.K. Rowling. If she says, I'm writing the script, she's fucking writing the script. Yeah. But The moment a Harry Potter movie loses J.K. Rowling, you don't have a Harry Potter movie. Exactly. I I honestly am not excited for the, for the next two. In fact, I pray that when, when those films come out, there's a competing blockbuster so that we don't have to review them. Yeah, here's hoping. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, I guess this is our first negative review of the podcast. I'm actually quite happy that we got that out of the way, just yep. so that people can see that we're not uh, homers or not like just uh, giving okay. everything love. Yeah, giving everything love. I mean, and for those who might say, oh, well, you guys are biased already. Like, see, that's the thing. When marketing doesn't get you excited, which is the whole point of marketing, right? It's either because the marketing people are idiots or... The movie the, isn't good. The movie isn't good. And listen, I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers, for the most part, don't hire idiots. So... Usually not. Yeah. So, all right. That concludes this review. Until uh, next weekend, when we review the stuff that comes out. Uh, what's coming out next weekend? Uh, don't quote me. Whoa. But you'll see it soon. Yeah, you'll see it soon. All right, everybody. Take care. Good night, everybody.